0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Jody McLean is the CEO of Edens, one of the nation's leading private owners,
1: operators, and developers of retail real estate. McLean has focused on transforming brick and mortar shopping malls into lifestyle destinations that reflect consumer preference. As people return to in-person experiences, retailers are hitting some challenges. McLean joins Washington Post Live to discuss how staffing and supply chain issues, as well as continued health safety concerns are changing the retail experience post COVID. Let's listen. Good afternoon and thank you so much for joining us today here at Washington Post Live. I'm Karen Tumulty, a columnist here at the Post and deputy editor of the editorial page. And I'd like to welcome our guest today, Jody McLean. Jody is the CEO of Edens, which is one of the nation's largest private owners and developers and operators of retail real estate. So welcome, Jody.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: So, Jody, it is hard to think of Anything that has any activity that has been more transformed by the last year and a half that we've been living through in this this pandemic as shopping. Um, is retail recovering? are are you seeing it yet?
0: Yeah, it is absolutely recovering. And I think more importantly, the core of that is our communities are recovering. Um, At Eden's, we're all open air, so we're all open air retail that really finds itself in the heart and the center of community um, with a singular purpose, which is to enrich community. Not unlike a lot of our other peers, we get up every day and we think about what will bring people together. And I think um, going through the last 18 months, right next to all of our retail partners, Eden's Um, COVID with 2,600 retail partners, Um, and every day each one of those people worked hard to think through, um, wow, what is our purpose really to drive people together? Is it just pure commerce? And I think we're seeing that today. Foot traffic um, throughout our portfolio, we have about 15 million square feet nationally in nine major markets, and what we are seeing, which is in line and in trend with what we're seeing nationally is foot traffic is up about 109 percent of where we would have been two years ago so in 2019 Um, and we're watching this on a daily basis as um, the delta variant is is coming through um, and surges in a lot of our markets but but the consumer wants to be back amongst its community in a really safe setting
1: But the trend toward open-air shopping developments was something that had actually started um, years and years before COVID. Um, Has has this accelerated it? Um, I I think people would certainly feel a lot safer um, in an open-air environment in the current situation.
0: You know, I think a lot of things are driving that. And yes, the trends had started well before COVID. Um, The trends, and we're going to see a lot of these trends coming through and coming post-COVID. Some will be accelerated. um, And those trends are to open air for a couple of different reasons. First and foremost, I think convenience. We have um, 17 minutes. That's all we get in transportation time from sitting in my seat to walking through the front door of where I'm going. 94% of all consumers won't travel further than that for everyday purchases. And 80% of all disposable income is being spent within 20 miles of somebody's home. So so it started first and foremost with convenience, but then it's things like this. 72% of us want to feel uh, attached to our community, but yet 30% going into COVID, only 30% of Americans knew our neighbors. And so now these gathering places are at a lot of our centers, a lot of our centers. So people are coming, yes, for their essential needs, but I think more importantly, they're coming for their emotional wants. And so we're going to continue to see the rationalization of retail again, that started prior to COVID. Um, we will see the rationalization of somewhere probably between a billion and a half and two billion square feet of retail. Open air is not going to be immune to that. I, I do think that you're going to see about 60 percent of that probably happen in um, lesser quality, lesser located in indoor malls, but you you will see that. And this repositioning is actually, I think, something that will wind up being really positive for our industry in general, because I think we'll see the impact of the retail that remains to be extremely strong, um, still sort of the lifeline of both communities, but the lifeline of brands as well.
1: So what about some of the, the sort of new rituals of shopping, for instance, buying online and picking up in store? Um, are, do you think that these are just are, that these are going to continue after COVID? And how has that made you sort of rethink how you allocate your parking and how you allocate your space?
0: Um, So we refer to buy online, pick up in store as BOPIS, maybe it needs a better name, but that's how we refer to it. And BOPIS is absolutely here to stay. Again, another trend we saw prior to COVID, but then during COVID, the numbers um, accelerated. It was up 300%. In some um, certain sectors, probably up 500%. And yeah, that's staying. We're going to see the 50% of all the growth that happens in e-commerce. And I've always said e-commerce is our our partner it is not our foe that any really strong brand any strong retailer has um, understands the consumer and where the consumer chooses to transact we can't really control it's got to be seamless Um, so trends like Bopus will stay Um, we found ourselves as we were redeveloping places, looking at site plans much differently, thinking about how we make a place someplace where you want to come three times a week or three and a half times a week and spend five hours of dwell time. That means one one of those trips is probably really hyper convenient. You want to be in, you want to be out, and and I, I can't take too much of your time. And the next trip, you might want to come and meet a girlfriend for a drink. You might be coming to work out and go with your spin partner to have a have a juice. You might want to linger longer. And how do we make our places feel like we're meeting both those hyper convenience and these this feel good well-designed, slow-down-for-a-minute-and-catch-up-with-your-neighbor kind of place. And so, yeah, the logistics of what we're doing have never been more complicated. Figuring out the logistics of BOPIS, how do I make that trip really convenient for you, but yet when you and your husband come and you're going to have dinner, outdoor dining is here to stay. It accelerated, obviously. Um, 77% of all diners um, during COVID said they would go to places where there was outdoor dining. Um, And 54% said, we're going to continue this post-COVID. So we haven't seen those trends go away. It's too early to tell. We don't think they're going away. So I want you to feel really comfortable dining outdoors, but not necessarily sitting in a parking lot. And how do we make all of that feel great in the exact same place? Um, at the same time. And those are some of the, those are some of our opportunities coming out of COVID.
1: So how are your retailers navigating the, the, the varying and often conflicting uh, safety measures that we're seeing in some states having mask mandates, others not? Um, what does this do for, for someone who's, say, trying to operate a business in this?
0: Um, it's confusing, it's tricky. It, it has put uh, a lot of entrepreneurs in the place where they're now the arbitrator of somebody's health or their own health. Um, we are willing to get in there next to our retail partners um, to help and support them. Um, but I think for the most part, their thought first and foremost is for their own health, their own safety of their of themselves, their their teams but also of every customer that comes in the door. So I think you're seeing many that are going to um, right now, especially with the surge of Delta that are moving to mask. You're seeing many who are going to um, vaccine mandated um, in spaces like dining spaces where people are staying longer. But I think, unfortunately, we've put them in the position where they have to become the arbitrator in a community. And a lot of times they are the heart and soul of a community. They are who are bringing people together routinely. And and there is an important factor um, to to retail that goes well beyond just the commerce that happens. We all know that 70% of our GDP is driven by consumer goods, But what's so much more important than that is true prosperity that happens in communities. When people come together at Eden's Places and we watch this through our data, we do everything we can motivated by driving people three and a half trips, five hours of dwell time. And yes, that has economic impact. But when we really look at prosperity and we measure it at our places, we start with economic, but it's soulful, it's cultural, it's it's social. It is where people come together and feel a part of something much bigger than themselves. So for us to be able to partner with our retail partners, to think about taking them out of being that p- position of arbitrator um, has been important and it's been an important partnership all th- prior to COVID, through COVID and now coming out on the other side. So are retailers finding
1: themselves faring better in places that have stricter mandates, or in places where people don't have to wear masks?
0: I think that human nature likes predictability. We may not um, we may not like the rules all the time. Um, none of us are most comfortable in masks, but I think people like to spend time. Where there is consistency and predictability, so we are we are actually seeing um, our retailers um, and, and both foot traffic and, and in dollar and cents. We are seeing in all of our markets. So we're in Boston. Um, We're in suburban New York, D.C., Washington, um, Charlotte, Atlanta, Miami, Houston, Dallas, and Denver, and in all nine markets, very different um, atmosphere, very different um, uh, rules and regulations about masks, but we're really seeing consistent increase in foot traffic and consistent increase in dollars being spent.
1: And and I guess in places where the the state or the city has these clear rules, it must be a relief for your retailers to not find themselves sometimes having to step into arbitrating, you know, yeah. issues that have become, you know, not just about health and safety, but about politics. We
0: we all we all like strong leadership and, and we like consistency and we like predictability. Um, so, in the, so so it is very helpful right now to have strong partners um, at the municipal levels.
1: So we have a couple of questions here from, from our audience that I had wanted to run by you as well. Um, the first one is from Mitchell Burstell in New York, who asks, how many abandoned big box stores are being converted into housing or, it, it, for that matter, into, into other uses?
0: Um, I don't have the exact number, but I do know if you think about where retail has been in America, we've had as much as 23.5 square feet per capita, which is sort of globally leading stats of retail per capita. I always have said, and this is more of an art than a science, that it feels like with the American consumer, the American lifestyle, 18 square feet per capita and I, I can't tell you if that number really should be 19 or 17, but feels about the right number. Um, so that means somewhere between a billion and a half and two billion square feet will re, reposition. And we are seeing a lot of what we call densification. We're doing densification on some of our, we're, we've just completed um, taking a mall up in Woburn, Massachusetts, partnering with a great um, multifamily group bringing apartments, housing that was desperately needed in this area, bringing really um, great open green space to this area that they haven't had before. Um, so, so repositioning, and I think we're going to see a lot of that continue. Um, it won't all be for multifamily, but housing has been a great answer in a lot of places um, throughout the portfolio.
1: Well, I, I guess if you're living in a situation where essentially the, the retailers and the restaurants are in your front yard, that kind of cuts down on your 17-minute
0: issue there. Absolutely. People want to be in, where there are vitality on the street, and they want to be near the amenities of their lives.
1: Well, our other question is from Mark Roberts in California, um, who wants to know how to keep brick-and-mortar mom-and-pop retailers relevant when they are being forced to compete both against the internet and the national chains?
0: Um, What we have found in our portfolio, I I will just talk about our portfolio and I'll talk about a lot of um, mom and pop retailers that that we have the good fortune of working with every single day. Mom and pop retailers um, really are the heart and soul of America. We have found that that is who drives the loyalty to our places. Um, we've gone out, we've done all sorts of interviews in our community, and we'll talk to people, and we'll ask them, well, why why are you at Trenton Plaza today? Or why, why are you here today? And they'll say, oh, I come here all the time because this is where my um, local bookstore is, or this is my local cafe, or this is my local... Uh, dress shop. Okay, is that why you're here today? No, I'm here today to go to Publix. Oh, okay, when were you last here? I was the last year yesterday. Why were you here? I was here to go to um, the CBS. Okay, and so what we find is that the loyalty and the true emotional connection a lot of times is happening around these mom and pops. But the foot traffic that makes the mom and pops really successful is being driven by the nationals. So the most successful places to us, and I think this is consistent throughout the industry, are those places where you can bring these two together. Um, And and we've started this great program in our portfolio now where we're taking a lot of national retailers, um, by way of example, Patagonia in Denver, and their store manager is actually mentoring one of our pop-ups there um, a founder of a store called False Ego, and, and she's mentoring him. So he has a place to go to ask inventory questions. So right now we have a lot of supply chain issues. And so he has a built-in network. And the two of them, what, what we're finding is it's a great relationship. It's a great way to bring it up. But there's prosperity now throughout the whole district as a result of um, our national retailers really looking, supporting these unique entrepreneurs being there. That's what people like. That's where people want to spend time. And quite frankly, that's where people want to put their dollars and support.
1: Could you talk a little bit about those supply chain issues? Because we, we I think that's a, a phrase that probably a lot of us had, didn't hear very often before the COVID pandemic. What types of issues are you seeing? And, and- what are the most serious ones at this point?
0: Um, from from what we understand from our retail partners is um, I think most everybody hoped that by now we'd see um, the supply t- chain issues and issues may be the wrong word. But this elongated time um, to get inventory, we thought we'd see that um, come back. I don't think it's it has. And so as you think about going into this fourth quarter, which is in retail traditionally the most important quarter of the year, it's where we'll see most spending happen around the holidays. And, and for our retail partners to really think about inventory and making sure that they have plenty of inventory in time. Um, nobody wants to hold inventory too long. It's expensive to have inventory on your books, plus where do you store it? How do you keep it moving through? So so really this whole supply chain management um, issue is, is one of the biggest logistical issues right now happening in retail. And so I think what we'll see is you've already heard a lot of our larger retail partners say they have um, uh, expanded their inventory going into this holiday season. I think much like last year, we're expecting to see holiday start a lot earlier. So instead of having a really condensed holiday season that happens after Thanksgiving, we'll probably see it start to happen as early as, as right after Halloween. So um, much more elongated from where we sit. Um, we love that because I think... A big part of what we do at our centers is make sure that our canvases are great, are prepared for community. And when you have um, people, surges of people, it's it's just harder to manage those moments. So this elongated, but, but they are real. And I think we will continue to see, based on um, my interaction with our retail partners, based on what I've read, I think we'll see those supply chain issues continue well into next year.
1: Well, in the little bit of time we have left, I'd like to ask you another issue that we're likely to see continuing for a while, which is variants on the virus. How um, how much uncertainty has that injected into the the kinds of projections and calculations, you know, and confidence that retailers can feel going forward.
0: Um, I, you know, again, we all like predictability. And this, again, is something that um, has has caused us not to be able to see the future quite as predictable. Um, you saw a large drop in the consumer sentiment. Um, so the consumer is thinking about this, it's on their mind. We have not seen the consumer retreat yet in foot traffic. We're—I said this earlier—we're watching this every day. Um, the consumer, uh, I think, we're seeing less pushback on masks. We're seeing consumers willing to put on the mask, and you know, I'm going to leave this to the scientists. It's—it's it's not up to me, but it seems that. Um, Vaccination is our best way forward. Um, A lot of our retail partners, especially in the food and beverage area, are saying we're going to move to a vaccine requirement. Um, And we really haven't seen sales yet drop off. As they move to that, I think what it's doing is making the consumer feel safer. Um, But but it is a place that is going to add a lot of unpredictability and no business likes to operate in in times of of unpredictable times. So, um, I hope that we can all move forward. I hope that we can move forward and finding um, vaccine and vaccine rollouts that that help bring predictability back.
1: Boy, I think we all are hoping that as well. But. Thank you so much. Unfortunately, we are out of time, so we're going to have to leave it there. But thank you so much for joining us today, Jody McLean.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: And again, I'm Karen Tumulty. We'd like to thank you as well for watching. Uh, To check out what interviews we have coming up, please head over to WashingtonPostLive.com to register and to find more information. We've always got great programming going on here.
0: Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.